Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I'm super excited for today's conversation because it's on such an important and timely topic. And likely those who are listening might find themselves on differing sides of this particular issue. You see, I had the opportunity to connect with Kent Annan, Director of Humanitarianism and Disaster Relief at Wheaton College. Now, Kent has worked firsthand with refugees in many countries over many years, including Albania, Kosovo, India, and Haiti. He oversees the MA program as part of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton, He's written several books, including his latest entitled, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us. On this week's episode, Kent and I tackle a topic that's receiving much attention, and that is refugees and immigration. We discuss some of the primary concerns that are raised around this topic, including security and economic issues, and we hone in on some of the facts that Kent came upon during his research. We focus on how we as Christ followers can respond to refugees and immigrants and how we as pastors and ministry leaders can best help our people with this often divisive topic. Kent shares some excellent free resources to help your church better address refugee and immigration conversations, so you won't want to miss those. And now I invite you to join me in my conversation with Kent Annan. Kent, I appreciate you joining us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thanks. Great being with you, Jason. Yeah. Now, Kent, you've just released an incredibly insightful book on on a very important topic that that here in North America we're wrestling with, but many countries uh, around the world are working through this as well. Uh, your book is entitled You Welcomed Me, and it focuses on our response to refugees and immigrants. And first, Ken, I would just want to say thank you for writing this much-needed resource um, for those who are really seeking to honor Jesus with their lives. This is a conversation that I'm not only having professionally, you know, in the world of ministry, lots of conversations mm-hmm. going on around, but but these are conversations I'm having at home with my wife, with my children. And, and I love that you start this book with a question that your son actually asked you when you guys were talking about <laughs> refugees and immigrants. And he, he asked, he said, Dad, wait, are we for them or against them? And, and I think really uh, your son's question uh, captures what so many people are asking, um, especially mm-hmm. in light of much of the rhetoric that uh, that we have here in the United States around immigration. So let's spend some time today really talking about a response to refugees and immigrants that truly honors God. And Kent, I think to start, I guess the first question I have is why do you think that um, within the church there are such varying opinions to how we respond to refugees and immigrants? Yeah, thanks, Jason. Uh, and same for me. I, I have this converse, these conversations because of the Except I've written this book, but it also just comes up regularly. And you can almost, uh, as we have these conversations, and maybe even for people starting to listen to the podcast here, like I, I physically see people sometimes tense up a little bit just when the subject is mentioned. Right. Um, but I, I think if we stick with it and we have 
faithful conversations that are respectful, that honor different people's perspectives, but then seek truth and seek love, then we can, we can get somewhere really beautiful together. So I just wanted to say that out front and uh, totally agree with how you framed it. And I think we're going to, in this conversation, not shy away from anything, but also see hey, no matter where you are, if you're listening on this, I think there's a way for us to get through and make progress um, together. So for me, I've seen in churches, I think your question, why are people coming at this or arriving in different perspectives? I think on any political issue or social issue, we see within the church a, a variety of responses. What I saw as I see oh, within churches, you'd have people, you know, really on the welcoming side, really on the no welcoming, like we can't take any more people as a country. And of course, lots of people sort of along that continuum. And that's why in this book, I thought, well, we we could go right into the issues. And of course, in the book, I discuss issues. But I thought, well, let's start where we need to start, which is one of my son's question. Are we for them or against them? And then the second part of this, wait, is God for or against us, like you and me? And what does that have to do with how we're then for or against other people? And so I thought, well, we, we, we start in different places. We may end up in different places. But the chance that we have to get a little closer to each other, and I think a little closer to where God wants us to be on this topic, is to start with uh, the core issues. Are we for people? And and why are we for people? Well, I think it's because God is for us. And then we're set up to start going into some of the more, you know, the thorny policy discussions and everything. Um, but I think if we can start with with this this question that God loves us, God loves people who have lost their homes, who have had to run away from home, who are are fleeing in danger from gangs or from uh, different threats in their lives. And if that's the case, okay, in a church we may land on different different exact policy decisions or who we vote for, but we probably ought to have a lot in common for saying, hey, these are people who deserve our love, not our disdain. They deserve our respect, not bad rhetoric. They deserve our very best to help them, even if we then need to debate what that means exactly. That's good. I, I love that heart in that, Kent, because like you said, it's kind of foundational that we we can all start from the same place, right? We start from this place mm-hmm. place of love. And, and I love the subtitle of the book, Loving Refugees and Immigrants, because God first loved us. And like you said, we might, we might end up on different places when it comes to discussing policy and, and how we approach everything, how we go about everything. But really, there shouldn't be a whole lot of argument when we think about God's love for us and what God in turn asks us and, and how he asks us to express love um, for others. And so, so I love that that's kind of the foundational thing. One of the things that I love is that you kind of touch on a lot of concerns. And it's, it's amazing because these concerns that are raised, I've had people um, make these comments to me in conversations mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a very, it's, it's one of those things where you walk through, you're like, oh yes, this is, <laughs> this is what people keep saying. All right. Now here, here, here's a way for us to kind of approach it. So you shared the following quote from uh, Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. It says, where there is love and wisdom, there is neither fear nor ignorance. And, and that just kind of jumped out at me as I was reading through the book, because as as Christ followers, we we want to live rooted in love. Um, we want to, and we are we are seeking to grow in wisdom. I mean, that's a that's kind of a, a biblical, um, mm-hmm. just kind of a heart of who we are as the people of God, and and yet we see there is a lot of fear and, and a lot of ignorance around the issue of immigration, around the issue of of refugees. 
and we bump into this a lot, um, I'd like to kind of dive in a little bit to some of these fears, some of these concerns that people are raising and just um, ask you to kind of help us walk through that from from your research, from your study and uh, and, and just kind of help us. So one one of the big fears that that I've heard probably one of the top ones, I would say for mm-hmm. sure, often centers on the issue of security. Right. Um, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of uh, news stories, a lot of things tossed out in regard to this idea of security, and, and there's fear around that. So first, from your research, uh, what what are really kind of some of the, the facts about crime and security in relation to refugees? Can we kind of clear the clear the air a little bit on what you've learned? Exactly. No, because I think that these are a totally fair question for anyone in their community, or you know, for a for a parent thinking about their own children. Is wait, is is this a risk to our lives? And right. And I think the the trick then is to not hear a politician or somebody who who has an incentive to maybe manipulate us and stop there. But but like you said, then seek truth and wisdom. And then, and then see what our position is. That we're discipled by truth, we're discipled by, um, by love, and not by other outside rhetoric. And that rhetoric can come from either side of an issue, you know, not just on one side. So, so that like I, when I dove into that, and thought, oh yeah, the way this is being, like our fear is being stoked by the, of the foreigner, and you know, a, an extreme case or an exception can be built up. But then, as I started looking into it and doing research, thinking, well, you know, well, the Refugee Act was passed in 1980, and since 1980, with refugees, like there's not been a single terrorist attack by a refugee that resulted in an American life life lost. Hmm. So that's in how many years? Is that 38 years right. uh, of vetting refugees, and so that goes to you know sometimes it talks about this vetting issue, which is you know how are vet refugees researched their background so that for example a terrorist isn't sneaking in among refugees, and to think since 1980 like that record, you know that doesn't mean that one might not happen at some point, but at that point when when the statistics of what it's been like for the last 38 years, like we're much more at risk of dying from a lightning strike or shark attack at this point, you know, uh, than of a refugees, uh, like hundreds and um, even thousands of times more likely uh, than that. So that's just encouraging. And if we think more broadly about immigrants, uh, the, a lot of study is done about that, what happens in different neighborhoods and refu- and neighborhoods where there's a large immigrant population actually have less crime statistically throughout the country than neighborhoods that don't have any immigrants in them. Really? So it doesn't mean that there aren't, there could be communities and there may be people of course, where something changes and it does become more unsafe. Maybe there's, I don't know, like there may be some border town, something like that. So it's not saying everybody's experience, but it's important for us to take back what's this doing to our country? Well, we're bringing people in who are helping our economy. We're bringing people in who are not attacking us as terrorists. And the immigrant communities are actually more safe. So at that point, we think, okay, we have that information. So now we're grounded in truth. We also want to be grounded in love. Now let's start having the discussion instead of letting fear guide us. Let's let those kind of things guide us. Yeah, that, that that's great. Now, so on this issue of security, I'm just curious, Kent, what's your understanding for us as Christ followers, how we should view security as a whole? You know, as, as people have committed to taking up our cross daily and following Jesus, what's, you know, what's a kind of a, a proper balance of looking at security 
from the perspective mm-hmm. of one who's following Jesus? Yeah, that's a great question, Jason. I really like that because I think I think it's totally fair to think about security and to think about, okay, let's be wise and, and none of us would, would uh, you know, open our door and welcome in someone who was a violent, like to our own homes, right. you know? So, okay, that's, that's fair on the other side. On the other, on the other side, I think what can happen in a country where we're already so secure, we have the biggest military in the history of the world protecting us, us is I think security can become a sort of idol, can't it? Where security becomes the most important thing. And if we're followers of Jesus, as you said, like followers of Jesus don't get to put security as the number one concern that overrides and can veto all others. And I think that's used a little bit on this issue of immigrants and refugees. Instead of saying, okay, we want to love our neighbors, protect our vulnerable neighbors, that would include not not letting someone in who would exploit them. And so we're trying to protect them. But also, if we're just about protecting ourselves, then we are missing out on on the call to love our neighbors. We're missing out on the call to help a, a mom and a child who are running away from gang violence. If it just if at that point it just becomes about us and me and keeping them out, man, something's getting pretty badly distorted there, I think. And we're 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 missing out on on love. We're missing out on being our best selves. I, I think in a theological way, at that point, what happens is security be, can, can become an idol. And I think quite literally keep us from meeting and having encounters with God. If we think about uh, Matthew 25 and what Jesus talks about when we receive welcome the stranger, that we welcome Jesus himself. And we think, well, if we build up w- walls and all of our protections and everything all around us, to keep the stranger out, then I think according to what Jesus says, there's there's something there where we're keeping Jesus out. Mm. That's helpful. That's very helpful, Kent. Mm. As as we're kind of going along the line of security, there's there's another issue that kind of really falls in line there as well, and that has to do with a financial security or economic security. Mm-hmm. And one of the other concerns that's often raised is, um, listen, you know, immigrants are going to come in; they're taking all of our jobs. You know, there's this this financial drain, and you know, you know, how how in, again in your research, what have you learned in regard to, you know, that concern? How how do we address that concern? Yeah, this is another one, just like security, where where I think this shouldn't be our only factor as followers of Jesus. But the the encouraging thing is when we welcome refugees, when we use a system that's been put in place by our government, it actually has a really positive impact on our own government. So, for example, on a national scale, in the past decade, refugees brought in like $63 billion more in government revenues than they cost. You know, so there's some initial cost of vetting and doing things, but then refugees become net contributors to our economy and bring a ton of skills uh to us, I think we, when you look at the Fortune 500 companies and how many have been started by first or second generation immigrants, I forget the exact statistic, but it's a, a huge percentage of Fortune 500 companies have been started by refugees or, uh, or sorry, by immigrants or their children, first generation of children, and and that means they're making a huge contribution to our 
to our economy. One other kind of study that I thought was helpful thinking, oh, if we let in too many people at once, maybe that will have a negative impact. But there have been studies, um, I think when uh, a large number, over 100,000 Cubans came into Miami in 1980 and thought it didn't, it didn't really have an effect on unemployment there. And often what happens is immigrants take lower level jobs and the people who had those kind of jobs get boosted up a level economically, people who are already in the country uh, there. So it's, again, want to we want to be careful and sort of respect. There are going to be moments where a certain community or a certain individual loses a job and it's super discouraging and displacement for a family. And, and we want to be caring and compassionate that that can be a cost on occasion, but also we should know that overall, what immigrants and refugees who come into our country bring is a huge positive for our uh, economy and for our our own jobs and for our individual communities as well as the big picture. That's interesting because oftentimes we do hear, uh, and again, you know, the the fear that hey, they're going to come in and then we're going to all lose our jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, that that there there may be instances where, you know, those types of things happen. But generally, overall, um, shows that that it's been a positive impact to our overall economy uh, yep. historically, correct? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just economist after economist um, talks about the positives and that, that so much of our, our economic growth as a country is because of the influx of immigrants who we have into our country and that there's a huge economic risk, in fact, of cutting back too much on immigration. It's fascinating. Uh, Another concern that people often raise about refugees, about immigration, is um, that there are already enough of our own people within the country that need assistance, that need help. We need to take care of, kind of take care of our own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't need um, a bunch of others coming in that are going to kind of sap our resources and those types of things. Uh, What did you learn uh, about that kind of concern? Yeah, again, again, acknowledging that these are legitimate concerns, but then when we dig into the details, it relates to this economic data that uh, refugees and immigrants contribute so much to our economy that they're uh, often the, the refugees and immigrants who come, and I, I've known a number of them personally, you know, they're, um, they may have been a doctor or a lawyer in Iran, say, um, or in Myanmar or one of these places and uh, a business a business person you know in South Sudan and come over and they often have to start kind of lower down on our economic ladder here and then build their way up and and what they do with their skill and hard work is they're, they're bringing gifts they're bringing the gifts of their god-given talents they're bringing the hard work that has to happen and I, I think that they you know that they ultimately just end up being a positive, a positive force in our communities, and that we we can see the the contributions they make. That they're not just their victims in a way. You know, of circumstances that made them uh, run away and leave home and different things. But then I think if we can see them as oh, someone who comes and wants to work and be a contributing member of family, then that gets us into the right perspective uh, for how to think about these concerns and say, oh, a lot of the concerns go away and we we don't want to just take care of our own for I think a couple of reasons one is there are other people whose lives are at risk and and don't we want to help them and then also I think when we we look at the old testament and look about how god frames this issue this issue for israel the framing I think is very relevant 
to us in the U.S., and it's where the subtitle of my book comes from as well. But the framing is, hey, Israel, remember you once were wanderers without a home. You were in Egypt. You were oppressed. Your lives were under threat. And then you came out and you have a home now. Now remember who you are. Remember that experience and let that guide people who are now in that experience themselves. So if we think as Americans that almost all of us have, you know, except for a Native American population, uh, almost all of the rest of us have an immigrant story in our past that made our lives here possible. If it's a great grandparent from Scotland, if it's, a, you know, wherever they're from, that that's our story that's led us into this moment. So we don't just want to take care of our own. We want our memory grounded in the kind of memory that God ha wants us to and let that guide us in compassion for a vision of who we can be as a church and who we can be as a country. Yeah, that's. I think that's important to remember that, even though we, most of us are several generations removed mm -hmm. from from that. Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting how how we we lose uh, that that memory. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, exactly. You know, like like because we we don't tell those stories and share those stories. That's one of the things that, that I love about the book too is you do share um, very personal stories about people's journeys. And and I I think just in conversations that that I've had, oftentimes people paint a picture that oh, you know, these people that are coming to the US, they're just coming here because they want a better life. They're coming here because we've done the hard work to build a nation that is stable, that is safe, um, that has a good economy, and they don't want to do the hard work of of trying to make that happen in their own country. So they're mm -hmm. just packing up and coming into our country. How would you respond to kind of that perspective? All the refugees I've known, and I think that, you know, refugee is a certain category of immigrant where really their lives are, are at risk. But but even for immigrants who have had to leave just because of life un, life's under pressure, to me, all of them want to stay at home. Like they don't want to leave. The, the cost of leaving, to leave behind your family. I was talking with an Iranian refugee as well as a South Sudanese refugee last week. And for both of them, like you, they're talking about the incredible cost of having to leave behind home and language and extended family and a place where your, your gifts and skills were recognized and where you weren't looked down on as a human being, but you were respected, you know, walking through the market or going to school so I think the one part of the answer to that question is is realizing anyone we see, almost all immigrants, you know, there can be some cases that maybe someone's a student visa or something and they can be in a in a good position and just seeking new opportunity. And even there it's it's not that it's easy. But for everyone else, for refugees, for people seeking asylum, for so many immigrants, they, they pay a huge cost. So I think we want to acknowledge that cost, that they aren't just coming for new opportunity, but there's a cost. And almost always it's that for refugee, okay, our, our lives and our children's lives aren't safe. So we need to run for an immigrant. It might be, oh, like our, part of our family is already in the U.S. Or, or you know, there, there's some other threat uh, or economic threat or something that has them applying for and trying to become a, an immigrant or coming across the border in some way. Um, so I just think the story after story, and I think that's one of the key things is actually getting to know people who have these experiences Story after story is they pay a, a real cost. They're not trying to freeload quite the opposite on our system, quite the opposite. They're coming, they're ready to work hard. Many, many of them end up then, 
you know, working minimum wage jobs at least early on. And then they aren't even living off that because they're taking a, a good amount of their paycheck to send back to support children or nieces or nephews back at home who can't afford to go to school. So um, so I, th I think we want to be careful and characterizing people. And I've had those conversations like you where people think, oh, they're just trying to trying to take the easy path on our system. And I would just say, well, it is not an easy path. And it's not a path that any of them want to take, but it's a, a path that that for the most part they feel forced into for the sake of their families and for the sake of of um, trying to make a, a future for their children and for for everybody around them. And when we do that and when we can see them in that different way, then think, oh, wow, that's they're paying a cost and we can provide them some opportunity. Plus, they're going to help make our communities better. Um, like there's going to be some limit to how many people we can receive as a country each year. But we see it in this positive. Well, someone who's paying a price, willing to work hard and then making our communities better and helping out their own families. Well, those are the kind of people I want as neighbors. And uh, I'm excited to see when they have a chance to thrive. That's great, Kent. Now, um, another uh, conversation around this is um, – and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Like, you know, there's a limit. We can't just – open our borders necessarily and just have people flood in. And one of the, the arguments that I've heard oftentimes is, well, if you go and look um, over at continental Europe and you see, you know, that immigration and refugees and there's been some struggle there because of this influx. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how, how we view um, what's happened in some other countries and then what's a reasonable response when we're thinking about our own country um, that there's a response that that continues to honor God, um, mm -hmm. but is also, like I said, a reasonable or responsible way to go about this? Yeah, it's a great question, Jason. I think I think one is to think about scale and to think uh, as a country we've been taking – um, you know, we were sort of in the range of taking 80 or 90,000 uh, refugees a year, and whereas some other places like Turkey and continental Europe, you think of Greece or Italy or Germany, you know, that the numbers are up in the, the millions, you know, hundreds of thousands and millions of people have come in. So, so we're not even close and we could double or triple how many we're receiving and still not be close to to what their situation is so it's good to have you know, good to of course it's good and wise to look at other situations that are are um, struggling and where there are problems but I think it's it's also important for us to to put that on scale and say okay well we're not really close to that problem but let's still think about what we're learning and I think I think what's happened there is one I think there's a moral courage that they had you know that goes back some to the the refugee convention that came out in 1951 of countries, it was over 100 countries that decided after World, or sorry, after World War II and after World War II, you know, seeing the importance of vulnerable populations shifting different places and countries said, wow, if someone loses their home and has to escape as a refugee, that's a serious situation. And as, a, as most of the countries of the world, we want to acknowledge that and be ready to help them. So a lot of that goes back to this you know, humanitarian vision post-World War II of wanting to be a better place and acknowledging people's vulnerability. And so that's what puts some of the pressure on some of those other countries that are closer to 
crises than we are as the U.S. You know, we're, we're far away from a lot of these kind of crises um, where refugees are coming, like from Syria and, and uh, from uh, places like Sudan. So that's just a, a little bit of background. And then I'd say, you know, there what, what we want to look at is see the positives and see, oh, there have been communities. You can read about communities that were small and welcomed people, and it was really transformational for them and it sort of revived some of these communities even uh, there's some interesting stories of you know a little german village of a few hundred people that then welcomed a, a couple hundred syrian refugees and you know like a, what a change and struggle and maybe like 50 percent of the population changed but some some that went really positively went really well and then we want to look at national politics and say okay when when it seems like anywhere in the world and this goes back through a lot of history as well if a lot of foreigners come in, it can lead to a political backlash. And so we want to be aware of that and think about that so that we're welcoming people well and also so that on a political level, we want to be aware of what what's our rhetoric like. And as Christians, you know, who do we respond to? Are we going to respond to people who are being wise and sort of protecting us as a nation, but also being generous and welcoming? Or do we want to be responsive to the people who are kind of stoking, stoking our our nation with fears, you know, that might be unfounded. And to me, I always want to be on the welcoming side. I'd rather, rather than being super protective just because of following Jesus and the, I think the vision that God lays out, I'd rather be a little bit too generous and then say, oh, we need to pull back. Like, okay, maybe that's uh, that's too much and our country can't quite handle that. So we need to pull back slightly and let's find the right balance versus saying, okay, let's not have anyone come in because there might somewhere in the future be a danger in some way. And I, I think we want to avoid that kind of fear because so many of the statistics as well as the theological arguments are for welcoming. And then let's be wise and practical and, and keep adjusting in the right ways uh, as we move forward. Well said, brother. I, I love that, Kent. Now, Kent, can you help us um, just with some thoughts and ideas, you know, as, as ministry leaders that maybe we can share with our, our church, share with our people some just practical ways to really help when it comes to, you know, refugees, immigrants, and stepping into this. Because there's, I, I say there's a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of dialogue around it. There's a lot of perspectives <laughs> and opinions. But let's talk just kind of practically, you know, at local church level what are ways that we can just kind of step in and and be the people of God in the midst of all of this? Yeah, I think I, I mean, first, like you said, just having conversations, and I think having that, and I think um, this can be. And I love that you're having this conversation, Jason. And then I think we're, I would just encourage on the big big picture, encourage pastors step into this issue because your your people are talking about it. They're talking about it at work. They're talking about it at home. They're dialoguing with whoever the newscaster is, whatever, uh, wherever, whatever TV they're watching to get their news. So we don't want this to be a vacuum where the church isn't speaking into it. Um, I think to one extent, part of the problems we're seeing out there and with the church wrestling with this issue is I think people other than the church are discipling normal people's um, like day-to-day view of immigrants and refugees. Mm. And and we don't want that discipleship to be turned over to news on either side of the aisle. Um, so I, th- I would encourage that to say, like, this is a discipleship issue. And I think that's clear throughout Scripture. 
from the story of the Good Samaritan to um, God's uh, God's direction and legislation for how Israel deals with foreigners. This is just underlining what you said, Jason, but underlining the fact like this is a discipleship issue. And I, I think to encourage anyone listening, so so let's step into it uh, with wisdom. Um, what I, there are other some other good resources out there. Uh, there's a great book um, called Welcoming the Stranger by. Um, Matt Sorens and Jenny Yang, that's a fantastic resource. And then what we've done with my book, um, You Welcomed Me, Loving Refugees and Immigrants Because God First Loved Us, exactly for for what you're saying, we developed a online curriculum, uh, so a video curriculum, six weeks, so a church can take this on. And I think anyone can be welcome, whatever their political views, wherever they are on this issue. And I think a lot of churches end up with people on both sides um, on this issue. So obviously some churches with would line up on one or the other side, but there are a lot where it's mixed. And so we made this specifically for churches so that anybody who's part of it can be into this. And you basically walk through uh, my book, You Welcomed Me, seven-minute video, and then discussion questions and scripture. And I think it'd be a really healthy way for a church to walk through walk through this issue together. And, and I, I think you'll come out, we're already hearing from other churches, you'll come out uh, with with having moved forward as a church, with this as a discipleship issue and getting grounded and thinking about it in a right way. And then a second resource we developed to go along with the book is a what we call the Family Toolkit. We did this for one of my previous books too, but it's basically, I love this resource. And so knowing families are talking about these issues, so it's some questions you can talk about with your kids in the car, some activities that you can do to just be thinking about this and kind of shaping yourselves as a family to be more welcoming, and then some kind of short prayers for you to enter into when things are in the news about this issue. So this family toolkit and then this uh, this great six-week um, video-based book study um, and group discussion guide that, that are there, I think can be great resources for a church, and we worked hard to put them together, and they're both free, uh, available at youwelcomedme.org. And I think with these resources, uh, as well as some other resources out there, I just encourage any church leader, talk about it from the pulpit, and then I think even, even more, it's, the pulpit's super important for this, but I think getting people to sit down and be in discussion so they can voice their concerns and then have them addressed and then move forward together is is something that's really important for the for the next couple of years for our churches and for our country. Ken, I, I so appreciate that. I, I love those resources. We'll have links to those in the show notes so you guys can jump on and, and get direct links to, to all that Kent shared. And Kent, I really appreciate what you said about uh, the fact that our people are being discipled no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's being mm-hmm. discipled in some yeah, way. Exactly. And so exactly. Our, our responsibility as pastors, as ministry leaders, is to help them be discipled in the way of Jesus, right? Um, and, and not necessarily from whatever, as you said, news channel it is or whatever blog they happen to be reading or, you know, yep. whatever they're listening to on talk radio. But how how do we as ministry leaders, how do we as pastors, you know, God has entrusted these people to our care um, mm-hmm. at this time in this place, and how are we proactively discipling them in such a way that uh, God is, is ultimately glorified and in uh, that they can walk in the footsteps of Christ? So, yeah, th- well said. Thank well, well you. Said. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, brother. Is there is there anything else maybe that um, that as we're kind of wrapping up our time, you, know, you have pastors again, ministry leaders listening in. Um, is there anything else on this topic 
um, that you would kind of, you know, final words you'd like to, to leave with those who are listening? Yeah, a couple of things, and you and I both just talked about, but just one more time, acknowledging for you as church leaders, as pastors, that it's hard to step into the, you know, these kind of issues where you're going to have people on different sides, uh, but just encourage you to do it because I think there's something beautiful on the other side. It's worth it. We don't want to abdicate our discipleship over to others, uh, especially on issues these this important. And then combined with that, as I was writing this book and spending a couple of years on it so it could serve for people like you and you people in your churches, uh, one thing that happened, and I've been hearing from readers already who are reading early, early copies, is um, that we're not just entering into a tough political topic, but I think we're entering into giving people a beautiful vision of life, uh, a beautiful vision of following Jesus, which is to be welcoming. And when we welcome, we can be our best selves. I, I think it's one of those things I mentioned in, in in the book. If we look back at the end of our lives and and think about uh, you know what would go on our tombstone, that sort of thing of thinking, oh, what was most important in my life? If we think, oh, I was like super protective and made sure not even a one in a million chance of something going wrong went wrong. Or is it a life of generosity and welcoming people where sometimes it's awkward and and different, but then these people become part of our lives and part of our churches and part of our families and and were we part of part of a family's life where they left on the verge of like being threatened and losing everything and now we are part of them birthing into something new and having children who graduate from high school and college and get new lives and and going from a place where they had to flee to a place where they feel safe and whole and think in a way this isn't just about them you know refugees and immigrants it's very much about us and who we're going to be and i think who god wants us to be and when we are welcomed into god's grace and love i think it frees us yeah, this is the story of the gospel. It frees us to then be welcoming to others and to be loving and to take risks of love, even if they're wise risks. Uh, and when we do it, Jesus doesn't disappoint. Uh, Jesus says we meet him there. And then our life has changed, and so has the person's life changed who we helped. And so let's see this not as something we only have to tread into cautiously or with our shoulders tensed up but as an invitation into a beautiful life of, of living the gospel. And um, so I just am grateful for the conversation, grateful for what you all are doing as church leaders and as pastors, and encourage you to step into this issue um, backed and fully supported by how much God loves you and your congregation and by the kind of vision that God is inviting your congregation into. Amen, Kent. It's beautiful, brother. I love it. Thank you so much again for your heart for the kingdom and your heart for pastors and ministry leaders and churches and uh, for this resource, this book. You welcomed me. Again, we'll have links to the book and to the, the online course and, and uh, the, the family family kit that you have put together to help families walk through this as well. Certainly appreciate that. So thank you for being with us here on Church Leaders, Kent. God bless yeah, you, my friend. Uh, thanks. Great conversation with you. Thanks for what you're doing in so many ways, Jason. Thanks. Awesome. God bless you, brother. You too. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. 
Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance. And if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.